to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, solo this week without our co-host, Richard Geiger, who has been called away looking in the Orient for new recipes for pudding. No, not really, but he had some familial commitments that he had to take care of, so he will be back with us in our next episode. Um, I am lucky enough to have a wonderful guest with us today, Miss Heather Antos, a editor for Valiant Entertainment. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I am really excited. Anytime I get a chance to, to talk to somebody that's been involved with probably my one of my favorite two industries, that being the comic book world, uh, I, I get a little giddy on the inside. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, what I would like to start with, if at all possible, is to have you describe what it means to be uh, an editor. Because I mean, people know what artists do. People know what inkers do. People know what writers do. Editors, uh, when you're talking about a book, it means maybe one thing. I think maybe people don't have a complete image of what it means to be a editor for comic books. Yeah, I think that's a very valid question. And, and honestly, it's the question that I asked um ages ago, which first um, got me interested in becoming a comic book editor based on the answer. So <laughs> I think it's very valid. No, I think uh, uh, what it means to be a comic book editor is basically you are uh, for a company like Valiant or Marvel or DC is at the end of the day, you are the keeper of the keys. You, It is your job to protect the integrity of the character and the stories first and foremost. Um and, but it's also uh, to create a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, I like to compare it uh, to, it's a lot like being a TV producer or a, or a, a film or theater producer. You wear a lot of hats. Um, you're managing schedules. You're managing budget. You're, you're coming up with story ideas. You are casting talent. Um, you are making sure all your deadlines are being hit. You're given notes on story, on art, on covers, on design. Um, and you're making sure it's the very best product that it can be, um, and that everyone is getting along as best as they can in order to do the very best work that they can in a set schedule, um, and doing it for, you know, 10 to 20 projects at a time. <laughs> that sounds like it can be a little difficult to juggle at times. Uh, well, that's what coffee's for, my friend. That is... <laughs> coffee yeah yeah uh, i i do i do know the wonders of caffeine although i'm i'm trying to cut back myself so the projects that you work on unlike a unlike a television series or unlike a movie mm -hmm. or something like that or even a book where you have kind of a set beginning and a set ending and you have a certain amount of time it's going to take to put it together comics are constantly being released how does that affect things uh yeah um I mean, it's it's a lot of planning ahead. <laughs> um, you know, uh, there there are some series that are planned to be mini series from the beginning. You know, they're planned to be four, five, six issue. You know, um, complete stories uh, that sometimes do so well that we're asked to continue them. Um, you know, midway through, which is great, is fantastic, but it's always like, but we had an ending planned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then it's, you know, you have to come up with a season two, season three. Um, other stories, 
these are your, you know, for Valiant, it's your, it's your XO Man Awards, your Bloodshots, um, your, your Batmans, your Iron Mans, you know, your, your flagship characters. Um, these guys are planned as ongoings. Um, and, you know, ideally the plan is to have them ongoing and for as long as they possibly can sustain sales. And, uh, so for that, how, how Valiant does things is we plan a year at a time. Um, so I will, I will work with a writer and, you know, what does year one of XO Man of War look like? And we'll come up with a broad scope, um, and then we'll break down the arcs individually and, and, and really hone those out. And so obviously arc one is going to going to get the most attention and we'll kind of figure our arcs arcs two and three a little bit we'll 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 have like bullet points of each issue um but then as we get closer to writing that's when we'll sit down and hone them out um very similar again to i think how a, a you know a television show um writer's room type situation is you know a showrunner will come in um one of my favorite examples is Supernatural mm. uh, will come in and, you know, they pitched the first five seasons and they had they had a clear idea of this is, you know, this is the whole story. This is what seasons one through five are um, specifically here. Season one, here are all the scripts. And when the show turned out to be a super, super huge hit, it was like, OK, but what season six, what season seven, what season eight, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So is there a difference between um, between the the way that the Valiant runs things, the way that you run things at Valiant, um, as opposed to, say, the other uh, other companies? Because I know Valiant's a, got a, a very different lineup of comics than mm -hmm. Marvel or DC has. And a lot of times with the other companies, you've got these huge crossovers that affect all of the titles. Does Valiant have the same kind of things that they try and do? Does it affect things or is it a completely different animal? I mean, it's, it is at the end of the day, a completely different animal. We are, um, we are an independent comics publisher as opposed to, you know, a major corporate machine. Um, you know, that's not to say we don't, we don't do events, um, that, that do, cro you know, line ride crossovers. In fact, I think it was in 2015, um, it was Valiant who released the biggest selling independent crossover event of the decade with book of the death. So, um, sweet. you know, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome, but <laughs> it, it is, it is something that, that Valiant does do. Valiant has done. We've had Harbinger Wars, you know, we just did incursion. Um, but whereas I, I think the way that Valiant approaches it differently, um, is, uh, Marvel and DC, I think tend to, um, approach these and, you know, at, at the end of the day, the goal of a crossover is to get people who aren't picking up other characters books to become in in interested in the universe as a whole and interested in different characters that might not already be reading. Um, that's, that's the marketing, um, machine behind it. And the way that Marvel and DC will tend to do it is DC likes to do their crossovers and Marvel's done this too. Um, crossing different books so that a reader has to pick up part one that's in Batman, but part two is detective comics. Part three is in Batwoman. And so you are picking up and experiencing actual literal different titles than you're normally experiencing. Sure. Um, 
Marvel likes to do it where you have one big crossover event books such as Civil War, Original Sin, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have tie-ins across a bunch of different things where if you want the whole story, you have to pick up all of these tie-ins. And um, it's 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 just a lot. At the end of the day, it gets to be overwhelming. You feel like you might have missed something, and so you stop reading altogether. Um, but the nice thing, I think, and what I appreciate with how Valiant tends to do their crossovers, like Harbinger Wars, like Book of Death, is it's in one miniseries like we talked about before it's in it's in one single book that's one two three four five you don't get tie-ins across the different books um you're i you can if you want to read the event you can read the event um and if you don't you, you don't have to it's not it's not forced down your throat so to speak that that definitely makes sense and and it could especially help uh, uh especially as the prices of comics have increased over the years and having to make sometimes make some tough choices about what entertainment to spend your money on. You can feel like you uh, feel like you've really gotten your money out of it with a format like that. Absolutely. I, I feel like you, you know, as a consumer, you feel like you have a lot more autonomy over the decisions you're making. So you've been an editor for a little while now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I try to be as, as vague as vague as possible because, uh, you know, occasionally I, the information that I get is not, how long have you been an editor? Uh, I mean, if we, if we want to get esoteric, I have been editing stories my entire life. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no uh, professionally, I have been an editor for, goodness um six years now um started i started off professionally doing creator owned and indie publishing from there i went to marvel from there i went back to the indie world and now i'm at valiant okay so now you've had you know, well, obviously since you've been doing this your entire life we're going to take it from that direction what is your favorite part of the editorial process what really kind of gives you that that internal squeal of joy Oh my goodness. Um, two big things. Uh, I would say one is, you know, uh, sitting down and breaking a story. Um, and like, you know, you, you, you hit that aha moment with a, with an artist or that aha moment with a writer and, and it all just clicks and it all just makes sense. And, um, you know, there's, I, I really don't know how to describe that feeling other than like this, like great creative achievement. It's just like super, super cool to like, you know, all the pieces are finally fitting, fitting into place. Um, it's, it's so much fun. And then, um, you know, the fan interaction at the end of the day is, you know, we are all creating these stories to put out into the world and to hopefully connect with, with people like you and, and, you know, um, and, and all across, all across the world. And it's when you, when you create something that is truly bringing others joy, like that's, that's why we do it. Um, and there's just no greater feeling than, you know, actually seeing that come to fruition and, and knowing that you made someone's day a little bit brighter. That uh, does sound like it could be pretty, uh, pretty rewarding. Um, 
So is there a particular project? I mean, you've, you've been part of some pretty, pretty neat stuff up until this point. Is there something that, that, uh, is, that you're particularly proud of at this point, or even if it's more than one thing that really kind of, kind of keys in your mind is like, you know, I, I, we made this and not only, it wasn't just good. It was fantastic. I mean, hands down, I have to say, you know, being, being a co-parent of Gwenpool, um, you know, co-creating her with Chris Hastings and Chris Pachalo and her hero over at Marvel, like, and just seeing this, what started out as a variant cover, you know, get her own backup story, get her own series, get cameos in other books, get toys, get statues, get t-shirts cosplayers little girl like all the little girl <laughs> cosplayers i see all the dads telling me that you know they they finally have a book that they can read with their little girls and you know she's she's in she's a character you can unlock in video games like that's so cool she's she's in she's in the marvel lego video game like that is the coolest thing um neat. in the entire world um, and it's, and it's all, a, it all started with a what if, right. And, and so to see it reach that level, um, is super cool. And there's just no telling where she's going to go next. Um, and, and that's really, really exciting. And then I think on a little bit more of another angle of the creative side, one of the things that we literally just released on Valiant, um, were the live wire fashion magazine variant covers, um, which was just so much fun to do, uh, you know, to kind of express, um, w- uh, this character through, through the lens of, you know, actual everyday media and play with, he- uh, article headlines as they would appear in the Valiant universe and get to work with great artists like Chris Anka and Irene Ko and Annie Wu and Kevin Wada. And it was just so much fun. It was just <laughs> so, so, so much fun. And to debut them on the Nerdist was really cool. <laughs> yeah. That, I, that, that, that looked like it was a lot of fun. Um, so now you've been on this side of, of the, I, mean, I assume that you were a fan well before you got into the comic book world. Uh, because Absolutely. the joy is definitely coming through. Um, what is it? What? How has being an editor affected you in in how you consume the product? Uh, do you kind of look at things with a slightly different lens that, than you did before, or are you still enjoying things like you did before you ever entered the the realm of what you do now? I think I appreciate them more. Um, you know, I think I appreciate, uh, the time that it takes to create a single issue. And, you know, I, I, I didn't pre Marvel, especially, um, I didn't understand how much a single editor is responsible for and how many hats they wear. And, you know, you're wrangling literally 50 different people at a time, um, and to get to get covers and interior pages and um, coordinate with other offices that have are using your characters or that you're tying in a different story to or dealing with licensees or um, and so the fact that we're able that we're able to get a single one of these things 
to print every month, let alone the the thousands that we get, the hundreds, you know, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of these that we get every single month is nothing short of miraculous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then, and then you get, you know, to get some of these old classic guys who don't draw anymore, don't write anymore. And, and they're not used to hitting these, these monthly deadlines anymore. And to get them to do, you know, for Marvel 1000, we're getting, these these guys out of retirement to, to to contribute a single page like that is a miracle <laughs> that yeah. is that is that is a blessing from god you know he's he's uh giving us giving us buried kitson back in comics and it's great it's just fantastic that does sound pretty awesome well what what were some of your favorites back in the day when you when you first started getting into into this sort of a thing uh, and how has that kind of changed over time? I don't think it's changed more so than I guess gotten a little bit more esoteric as I think, you know, we all do through art, but I've, I've always been a horror fan, horror fan through and through Sandman and Hellblazer nice. were my introduction to comics. I mean, vert, all, all the vertigo stuff, why the last man, um, Transmetropolitan, all of that, like that's, that is my heart and soul. That is, that is my baby in comics. You know, that's my wheelhouse. And so, um, you know, RIP vertigo, it's no longer around. It's very sad. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I think we all feel that a lot of what image has been doing recently has kind of taken over the vertigo vein and we're getting some really good stuff. Um, and, and, and right now, truly, I think it's the best time for horror in comics. Um, Colin Bunn is doing some of the work of his career. Justin Jordan's doing some great stuff. Brian Azzarello is doing some really cool things. Um, there's a Junji Ito. I can't, you know, like, just there's just a plethora of great, great, great horror and thriller um, out there. And uh, I'm excited to be creating more of that. Yeah, uh, like hack slash and and things like that are just there's there's so much. It seems like there's so much more possibility, uh, and that may not be the best way to put it because everything is cyclical in a, in a certain sense. I mean, but superhero mm-hmm. comics dominated for so long, but that wasn't always the case. You had romance comics, you had war comics, you had crime Western. comics. Exactly. Uh, tales, tales, not tales of suspense, but uh, um, um, tales from the crypt was was real popular. Yeah. You know, vault of horror, things like that. They they had a place, and it feels kind of like that's got a resurgence in a way. A little bit, yeah, absolutely. Um, a little bit. You know, it's it's kind of like every once in a while you, you hear just marketing sales teams from, from companies across the board, you know, hard doesn't sell romance doesn't sell like blah, 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 doesn't sell. And it's like, yeah, okay. But, and <laughs> it, it only, it only takes the one. And especially right now, I think in, in Hollywood, we're seeing such an insane resurgence of horror. Um, I mean, nostalgia is the thing right now. That's, that's, that's the big, the big thing right now. But, um, horror is thriving so strongly in comics and I am here for it. 
Yeah, there's 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 a lot of fun stuff. I mean, just just looking at the the, the television and movie side of things, Stranger Things being a great example of that. Even if some mm -hmm. of the '80s timing placements in, in the film, I, I think that's maybe the most joy that I get out of it. Seeing seeing it in there, and then seeing all of the really obsessive people uh, say, "Well, this didn't happen at this time. It happened at this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're always you're always gonna get that, right? Like, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 mildly entertaining in its in its own right. Um, so I know you haven't been with Valiant for uh, a real long time, but uh, a lot of our listening audience, I'm I'm sure, is familiar with Valiant. I, I think a lot of them are not, though. They may be no Marvel. They may be no DC, if only through the movies, and some may not understand a little bit of the history of the company is that something that you could speak to oh briefly yeah um basically um 1989 1990 um the former editor-in-chief of marvel's jim shooter along with a couple other people um that had left marvel in the 80s uh started their own publisher called voyager out of which uh valiant was actually an imprint um, and, uh, Valiant, uh, I think Valiant's first title was Magnus Robot Fighter. Um, and then we had Solar and Ray, uh, or Rai, uh, kicked, kicked off the scene and it took off and it did really, really well. And, um, you know, kind of took over the Voyager name. Valiant became, you know, the, the big overseer. Um, they got popular, uh, you know, Barry Windsor Smith, uh, Bob Layton came on board, uh, and that's when Acclaim, um, I think it's Acclaim, Acclaim Entertainment, not Acclaim right. Comics, but Acclaim, uh, Acclaim bought out uh, Valiant in 94 um, until they went bankrupt in the early 2000s, and um, after that, uh, a group of, you know, just basically hardcore Valiant fans um, took over, well, not took over, but they got in investors and basically relaunched the company. Um, and, uh, and what was it? Like 2012, I think was the big, the big, big relaunch. Mm. Um, the summer of Valiant, as they like to say, uh, 2012 and, and released all these new lines of books and, um, you know, have kind of been punching above their weight class ever since in the Diamonds charts, um, all the way to 2018 when uh, Valiant again was um, invested in and bought uh, and taken over by DMG Entertainment, um, which is uh, studios uh, tied with China. They're, they've uh, worked with the Looper films, working with Sony on the new Bloodshot movie. You know, now we have the Bloodshot film starring Vin Diesel coming out next year, which is super exciting. Yeah. Um, very, very, very exciting. But uh, yeah, I, Valiant, Valiant has been known for always. It's an independent comics company that acts like uh, it's part of the big two. <laughs> as as it as um, it well should. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, our characters. Yes, we don't have the eighty-year history and legacy that um, Marvel or DC does, but because of that, that gives us, I think, a lot more freedom 
um, with our characters and our history and our stories that Marvel and DC being corporate entities just don't have. Um, so it's, it's actually really exciting to get to be a part of Valiant at this time when it's kind of redefining um, its place in the industry and redefining what it means to be Valiant, what it means to be a Valiant character in a Valiant book. Um, we're a universe where dead characters stay dead. I mean, like, that's... That's a really <laughs> there, refreshing thing. It's there is actual there are actual consequences for what happens in our stories, um, and uh, you know if if we wanted to kill a character like that, it is going to impact the universe in a way that you know Marvel and DC just can't do. Yeah, it seems seems a lot of times that the the investment and the bottom line of of the money that is is produced from the interest and in the character. Uh, drives the story rather than than what can potentially actually make the story better. I, I know personally, I've, I've been a comic fan for a very long time, and I, I, I at one point saw the way DC was doing things that looked like they were setting up, you know, the new people to take over the mantle when the one person would die. So, like you're saying, there's consequences, and it looked like they would do it, and then nah, we're we're mm-hmm. just going to bring them back. And it's, it's just, it was always a little disheartening because there was just, it, it makes time not quite mean anything. No, exactly. And, well, and it also makes, you know, the death ofs, right? Like, yeah. fans don't bat an eye. Death of Wolverine. Like, and I was there for it. Um, death of Wolverine. It's like, yeah, but like we know he's coming back. So, um, <laughs> which is, which is the thing I was like, no, the ballsiest thing Mark would do is actually kill Wolverine. Um, yeah. maybe they will one day. Who knows? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Especially with, the current, with <laughs> hey, the current ownership. Probably not. I, I know, but I can, I, I'm always going to be hopeful for the potential that is there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, one of the big things about the history of Valiant that I kind of wanted to, to kind of address is I know when I first started reading Valiant, I mean, it was in a lot of ways trying to be uh, like you're saying, like the, the big two, but uh, in the way I saw it as the consumer of the product was, you know, it's, it's, it's all superhero stuff. That's not mm-hmm. the case today. What is, what is the landscape like with Valiant for those that might not be completely familiar with it? Yeah, so we do have, you know, we do have our tried and true superheroes. I like to say, you know, um, we have Faith and Exo Man of War, which are our big superheroes. Live Wire, which is mm-hmm. a book that I'm, I'm on right now, which is a very superhero. Um, you know, you know that that that's your that's your cape and uniforms type yeah. books. Um, and then you have your more horror supernatural stuff with Doctor Mirage and Punk Mambo and Shadow Man. Um, where, you know, you have these, um, people that have ties to the dead side, the dead side being, you know, uh, I I don't know entirely too much about the voodoo religion, so I don't want to, you know, speak out of turn, but it's essentially like an, an equivalent of, of, of hell or a wayside to hell. And so, um, you know, Jack Boniface, who is shadow man, um, works, with is bound to the shadow Loa to basically keep hell from creeping over into earth, uh, from time to time, which is a lot of fun. Um, 
And I gotta say, and, and Punk Mambo is a British version of that with yeah. the pink mohawk, and it's great. <laughs> that is probably my favorite current new name that I <laughs> that I hadn't been completely familiar with. That's I, I always love superhero names that that will stick, and that that that's one I won't forget. <laughs> it's just, just oh, Punk Mambo. Yeah, it's just got it's got kind yeah, of rolls no. off the tongue. Oh, absolutely! It's super fun, and she's super rad. Um, you know, you have Dr. Mirage, uh, who speaks to ghosts, which is great. Um, you know, it's always useful to have, to have a medium around, I think. Um, and then you have your more like gritty, dark street level type characters like Peter Stanchek and Harbinger, um, who is a psyot, uh, who is the most powerful, um, telekinetic, telepath, like a um, almost omnipotent uh, Saya around um, who uh, is struggling with, with the burden of being just that and what that means. Um, and then you have Bloodshots, obviously, you know, it's the Vin Diesel movie coming out, who right. is a, a government um, sanctioned Saya hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love seeing uh, that's the continuity too. I mean, from from the old days. I mean, since Bloodshot's been around for a while, so is Exo Man of War, and and uh, that it's it's kind of interesting seeing the the storytelling changes that have happened in the comics. The uh, whether you consider them just differences in storytelling method or an advancement, an improvement, whichever you want. But the stylistic changes to the art is really kind of interesting. Yeah, I haven't read too. I will be honest. I haven't read too, too, too much of the the original stuff from the '90s. I've I've dug into it a little. Um, you know, we have a couple of copies of things around the office, but it's hard to get your hands on hard copies of things. And right. I hate reading digitally. I just I just can't do it. It's very very hard for me to grasp. Um, but one same. of these days. It's not the same, and I just I just don't process it as well. It's just how my brain works. Um, but one of these days I'll dig in. I have read a lot of the original Bob Layton Shadow Man, um, mm-hmm. which is just it's truly it's truly fascinating. Yeah, yeah. That, that <laughs> 90s, seems like the nineties were too. a different time in comics. <laughs> yeah, they, they were they were really different. Um, so okay, so now that you're you're working on Livewire. Um, Obviously, uh, you want to kind of make an impact. What is your, what is your kind of your your dream, your your hope, uh, working with Valiant right now? What is it that you really want to achieve? Oh man, um, well it's it's funny because I am getting to do it, but I can't talk about it yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, sigh. I thought I'm going into that. Uh, there's, there's, I have, I have five or six titles right now that I can't talk about <laughs> and it's so hard, um, <laughs> uh, cause it's all the like art is sitting in front of my desk in my office, but I can't show anyone. And it's just, it's, it's, it's killing me. I just want to share with the world. Um, but no, I, it's, you know, I can, I can tease into like, I, you know, anyone who follows me on Twitter or anyone who has heard me on other podcasts know, like I love crime like uh, i my first comic i created was a crime anthology and that's what got me noticed by marvel and got me in the door and i love horror like i love horror comics so 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 much and um 
when I came and when I started with Valiant, I noticed they really didn't have those genres and now they might. And that's, that's all I'll say there. I, I, I think that's, that's more than sufficient because the last thing I want to do is, is verge <laughs> into territory that might get you in trouble. Uh, even, even if I'm <laughs> salivating here for the, for the details. Um, well, okay. Well, maybe we can venture into the, the more general. We kind of touched on this just a little bit, but kind of we've talked about how how the how the comic industry was and how it's changed a little bit. What what do you think about the state of the industry today? This is a very different very different environment than it used to be in terms of trying to get the product to the customer uh, to get new to get new readership to to change. What can you tell me about what you think about how things operate now? Yeah, I think, you know, everyone and and not being in marketing and not being in sales, I, I, you know, only being on the creative side, I can only speak to too much. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, the, the direct market is, is our biggest ally and it's our biggest hurdle right now. Uh, You know, um, trying to get comics, uh, trying to get people who aren't already coming to comic shops um, to pay attention to comics is very, very difficult. Um, right. Because, you know, I, I, I can trust that people who are already aware of and coming into comic shops are buying comics. <laughs> That's, um, but I can't trust that, you know... Uh, because we don't have the stuff at the super at the supermarket racks anymore because we don't have the newsstands because we don't because yeah. um, Barnes and Noble's comic selection is only so big and they're only pushing you know really Marvel DC or anything that has a TV show. Because um, you can't even find a Barnes know. and Nobles anymore. Exactly, like it's it's so it is very very hard and difficult to get in front of of to get new readers. And so that I think is the industry's biggest hurdle right now. I think, you know, slowly, um, the, the publish industry, I think the publishing industry as a whole has kind of figured it out with graphic novels with, with YA, um, you know, those, those are booming, you know, Raina Telgemeier has that, that shit on lock. Um, and, you know, DC is starting to get into their young readers um, line, which I think is brilliant. And Marvel has been slowly, slowly, slowly getting into that, too. Um, and I think, you know, getting into schools and getting into libraries and breaking down the barrier that comics has had for the longest time that comics aren't literature. Right. We've had a sure. lot of hurdles. A lot, a lot of hurdles for decades of, you know, well, if it has pictures, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not literature. real reading. Yeah. Right. It's not real reading. And, um, and it's like, right. But like Shakespeare's literature and, you know, this, this Renoir or this Matisse over here is art. We put them together and all of a sudden it's for kids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely see you there. I don't, I don't understand. And there's, there's been this disconnect for a really, really long time. And, um, you know, I do think part of the success of Hollywood turning to comics for content is helping, 
um, teachers and librarians and everything open up to um, to using comics to to teach to read, to using comics to tell stories, but also just the fact of the generations that read comics as kids are now growing up um, and making them and becoming teachers and becoming parents and becoming. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're sharing their childhood with, with the next generation. And so I think, um, branching out beyond comic stores is, is our biggest hurdle. Um, and until the industry steps away from the direct market, which only deals with comic stores, um, we're, we're in a bit of an impasse, I feel. Do you think that other media could potentially be an avenue in order to reach uh, a new readership? I mean, obviously, with the boom of television shows and movies based upon comic books, there's definitely people that are willing to watch. Is there a way, do you think, to use that as a method of getting people back into the actual physical books themselves? I think so. I think um, that comes down to down to the studios though because you know walking dead for so many people is just a tv show they have no idea it's based on a comic right all the comic readers know that walking dead or that the kitchen or that you know good omens or um sandman or you know um, anything name anything right they they know that all of these um batman everything is comes from comics but for some people, the Batman movies, well, that actually comes from just the, the Burt, Ward, Burt Ward, Adam West TV show. Like, that's sure. all that is. Like, they might, they truly might not even, or the cartoon series, they truly might not even know that it comes from comics. And so I think that comes from, you know, like, uh, before, before a, a, a trailer before the next Avengers movie, like, have, have that be an ad for comics, go to your local comic store. Um, something like something like that, where it's getting in front of new eyes and saying, Hey, you like this, check this out. Because right now that's not happening from the Hollywood side. It is only happening from the comic side. So we're only telling people that are already reading comics. Yeah. I saw one instance recent in recent memory where it almost seemed like they were kind of trying to do that with uh, Sony's release of Venom. They gave a Venom comic to the viewers that went to mm-hmm. see the movie. That that seemed like an interesting step in that direction, but it was almost more like here's something that you can throw away when you go home, rather than more of a <laughs> an urging, "Hey, look where all this other stuff comes from." Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've heard of stores, um, like local comic shops, doing, like, opening weekend things at their local theaters, which I think is a great step. Um, but I think, you know, it, it need, it can't be as isolated as that. Like, I no. think that's great, and I think more stores should should come up with partnerships and things like that. I think that's brilliant, but it, it can't be isolated. It can't just be localized. It has to be, it has to be an industry-wide push. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. But kind of on that movie television side, I mean, you, you've talked about a couple of the neat, valiant things that are going to be uh, in the process of being adapted. Is there either a valiant title or some other comic property that you would just love to see adapted into another medium? Oh, my God. Shadow Man, hands down. <laughs> hands down. <laughs> I mean, we have the old we have the old Shadow Man video game, um, which is super cool. Um, 
But I think a Shadow Man TV show would be super, super cool. I mean, uh, that would be a lot of fun. I mean, I'm always going to say Gwenpool, right? Like, Gwenpool, oh, yeah. I want to see get a, get a TV show. Um, but I think, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in the works um, behind the scenes. I don't know how much has technically been announced. So, again, I don't want to say. Makes sense. Um, but... Uh, you know, Bloodshot's just the tip of the iceberg, and I can't wait for people to see what's been happening there. And they're going to get to see it sooner rather than later. And um, if you like it, you know, go see it again and tell everyone to go see it because that's how you're going to get more. Yeah, I think that has a chance to be something a little a little fresher, maybe. I mean, uh, there are more people that are casually aware of DC and Marvel characters over the years. Maybe not so many that are aware of what what it means. What is Bloodshot? What who is he? What is what is the story behind it? So, I th I think people may have more of an open mind going into seeing that movie, and having a chance to be really impressed. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think. Um... I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very curious to see what people think of this interpretation. I'm very curious to see, um, what people just think of the character, you know, for the people that are fans of the Punisher or for people mm -hmm. that are fans of Wolverine or for people who are fans of Deadpool, you know, like kind of, um, the like-minded characters. Um, I'm super, super, super curious to see you know, their take and their interest on, on Bloodshot and the Valiant Universe. Definitely so. Well, since we have had a really fun conversation, I always like to end on just a, a couple of, of questions. Usually this is a question that my uh, co-host would ask, but uh, since he is not here, I will ask it for him. <laughs> you are currently in New York, right? So mm -hmm. he, uh, he often loves to know, are you uh, a New York pizza kind of person or a Chicago pizza kind of person? Oh, see this. You're pulling up my heartstrings here. So I grew up an hour outside of Chicago. <laughs> um, so uh, that's that's my backyard I grew up in. But also New York pizza, duh. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you got uh, so, so much good stuff. Um, and then the other question that he would normally ask again, uh, kind of the fun personality kind of thing. We also, in addition to covering comics and comic related stuff, we are huge music fans. So mm -hmm. uh, who are some of the musicians that you love that inspire you, that kind of fuel you through your day, your week, your year? Um, well, my favorite band of all time is Coed and Cambria. Um, ah, nice. And... Yeah, uh, Claudio Sanchez, of which is a huge comics fan. He has the Omri Wars, which he writes with his lovely wife, uh, Chandra. So they're comic fans as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Say Anything with Max Bemis, who is also a comics writer. It's weird. All the musicians I listened to growing up actually are <laughs> comics writers. It's this weird, weird thing. But I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of classic rock, of, you know... Uh, Queen ACDC and and all of that. I like I like music that fuels your mood, man. <laughs> right. <you're> right. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, 
I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on to our little show here and taking some time to, to give us a, a little bit of a perspective and flavor of what it is to be you and and to, to help contribute to the stories that uh, can make some people smile. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. I, I, I cannot wait to get a chance to talk to you again. Maybe I'll run into you in a convention or something. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic.